It is so good to have this opportunity to begin to put together some thoughts about what if, what if. And in particular, we're talking about the what ifs that may keep you awake at night. You know, there was something that I grew up with that I, I loved and I expected, but I did not always understand. My mom was one of the greatest prayers that I know. She was um, the, the, the leader of youth. She was the leader of worship. She did so much in our home church that every pastor seems to have a handful of those irreplaceable, indispensable people. And there's no title or salary that goes with that. But you know who they are. You know what I'm talking about. You find them rising to the occasion. But my mom, even though she was one of those people, there was one thing that marked her life all the days that I knew her before the Lord took her home. And that is in the deep part of the night. Now, you've got to understand, I grew up in a home where if the phone rang after nine, you knew it had to be an emergency. Um, there, were, there were shows like Johnny Carson I'd heard, but the TV went off long before Mr. Carson came on. But it was a regular occurrence through the night to hear my mom in the still of the night, especially just before everybody had gone to bed. Sometimes it would wake us up. My mom would begin to call out to God in prayer, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. If that was the only time it was loud enough to wake us. And it was not because she was wanting to show off. It was because she had been taught and taught us, you don't ever hinder the Holy Spirit. You don't ever try to hide him under a bushel, so to speak. So she might be crying silently. Sometimes if you got up to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water, you could hear her, you know, crying, calling out to God. But when the Spirit came upon her, it was full steam. I grew up with that heritage and I later asked her about it. And she said, well, sometimes going to bed was the only time you could really shut yourself in with the Lord. She said, but son, you'll learn. She said, I hope you never do, but you'll learn there are some things that keep you awake and you've got to learn to take them to the Lord. It was a worldly perspective. Garrison Keeler, who used to do a Prairie Home Companion in Lake Wobegon, he said, you know you've passed from being a young man to an old man. He said, young men sing in the shower. He said, you've got that water coming down that drowns out enough of your poor singing qualities that you just let it rip and you're there in that cavern and it just sounds like you're in Carnegie Hall. He said, young men sing. He said, old men don't sing. He said, old men think. He said, how can I position myself? This is what old men think. How can I position myself so I don't fall? How do I, how do I stand? How much soap do I use so I don't go down? He said, I can't tell you what age it happens, but he said, you shift from singing to thinking. Well, 
I know that we all have faith and we all love the Lord and He loves us incredibly. But there are some things that have a tendency to keep us awake at night. And whether you're watching live or you're taking this in one of our Bible study courses, we want to talk about dealing with the worries that can keep you up at night. Now, everybody in the group could probably add two or three things to this. Everybody in the group would probably look at two or three of them and say, oh, I don't worry about that. But we're going to begin tonight with probabilities, possibilities, and God's grace. But we're going to talk about everything from the fear of natural disasters to the fear of dying. Um, so we ask the question, you know, what if the sky falls? What if I get sick? You know, as I get older, what if I develop some serious illness? What if I have financial collapse? What if I go broke? What if my friends and family let me down? You, you sometimes find yourself at night worrying about betrayal. What if I must suffer for my faith? And I would say that a decade ago, we didn't think about that much in America, but it's, it's such a prominent thing in our thinking now that in your notes, I approached it from three different directions. We're not going to spend three sessions on fear of persecution, but we want to be sure that we're looking at it and preparing our hearts. Um, what if I don't succeed? There's a lot of pressure on our youth and there's a fear of failure. What if I end up alone? What if I outlive my spouse? What if my children move away and I have this fear of isolation? What if I end up lost? And what I mean by that is the fear of mental breakdown. And then there's the fear of dying, as I said earlier. And we want to wrap up our study together talking about a good fear, the fear of God. But right now, let's talk about dealing with probabilities, possibilities, and God's grace. I think as we begin to prepare our hearts for dealing with these things that keep us awake, we need to ask some sensible questions. What are things that are probably going to happen to me? Let me say that a different way. Not that are probably going to happen, but stand a good chance of happening. As you get older, there's a chance of physical illness. There's a chance of some of these other things. I tell young ministers all the time, you need to understand you're at the age in life right now where you can cheat. You can really cheat. You can put in too many hours. You can eat the wrong kinds of food. You cannot take care of yourself. And at the end of the day, you are convinced that you are Superman or Wonder Woman. But you'll get old enough that you can't cheat anymore. And we have to understand what the probabilities are. <coughs> we also need to understand what some possibilities are. And what I mean by that is things happen and it's, it's not that we are having a negative confession. We've, we've really worn out that statement by Job where he said, the thing that I feared has come upon me. And I grew up in a culture where if you were worried about anything, you were playing right into the devil's hands. That's not true. There are probabilities. There are possibilities. But in the midst of probabilities and possibilities, we always factor in God's grace. When Jesus began his ministry, 
He quoted from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those that are oppressed. We need to have an understanding of what oppression is and what oppression can look like in our, in our lives. And it can show up differently in all of us. Psalm 91 uh, verses 5 through 7, I think my favorite psalm, tells us that there are times we may be confronted by the terror at night, by the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks us in darkness, or the plague that destroys at midday. And when the psalmist said, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you, he's not saying you will never have these troubles. He's, he's saying that even when these things happen, it doesn't have to take control of your life. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit of God, or the spirit that God gave to us, does not make us timid. And that's a pretty good translation. But I really like the way King James puts it, where it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and self-discipline or a sound mind. David Jeremiah did a great study on this kind of thing, anxiety and worry. And he said something that has really stuck with me through the years. He said, fear trades in the market of possibility. It can become the tyrant of the imagination. He says, fear is what keeps you awake at night because it's just out of reach, you can't deal with it yet. It's not time. So fear begins to play this game with you. Now let's begin, before we get into all these detailed possibilities, let's define some ground rules. Number one, we need to understand that this is a common problem. If you are struggling, if you're saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to try to rest, but Tylenol PM is my friend. You know, don't condemn yourself because it is a common problem. All of us wrestle with this at one time or another. Why? Because we are a broken race. Now, I know that doesn't sit well with us. We want to say, well, God's not broken. That's true. But we're not talking about God. He, he doesn't have an issue. Now, it's true that he does not slumber or sleep, but it's not because he's worried. He watches over us, but we are broken. And when we come to Jesus, that part of us called the spirit is immediately restored. Now the soul, we're growing and the body, that'll be one day, but we are a broken race. And this wonderful thing called salvation is God bringing us to a place of restoration. We also have a common enemy. Everybody's afraid of something. Um, I know that you probably say, oh, I know my Uncle George or whoever. Um, you may have some folks in your life that are bigger than life. But usually, and I know I'm sounding a bit cynical, but usually when I find somebody that doesn't seem to be afraid of anything, it's because they haven't lived long enough or they haven't traveled far enough. And as often as not, they are hiding their fears. They're hiding behind, if I deny the fears, it's whistling in the dark emotionally. If I don't confront them, I don't have them. Well, it's not always quite that simple. Now, I know some people are prone to worry and some people are prone to not worrying. 
But um, basically, all of us have something we struggle with at some time or another. Number three, there's a common perspective. Fear is future-based. You know, you say, what do you mean fear is future-based? Fear is always about what may be. Uh, can I tell you that I have absolutely no worries about failing high school? Just none. I, I can't remember in, in my adult life being afraid of, fearing high, uh, of failing high school. But now I want to tell you, when I was about 15, that was a very real thing. Uh, you know, uh, you, you go from adding and you go from subtracting to the complicated math. You know, you know, long division. You know what I'm talking about. Um, my, my, when I got through algebra, which was by the grace of God, they wanted me to, in order to prepare for college, to take all of these other advanced courses. And, and my, my daddy said, son, a good, a good place to, to land on this is if you can't spell it, don't take it. So, uh, so I had like four math classes. I had business math. I had, you know, I learned the gazentas. Two goes into four two times, you know, as Jethro used to say. But I'm not worried about failing high school because it's behind me. But boy, I do worry about some other things. And I have to bring those thoughts captive. It's a common process. Number four, we must deal with this at the soulish level. Um, sometimes we say it's about faith and sometimes it is, but usually when we're dealing with worry, it's not so much that we have a lack of faith as much as it is that we've got a process on the soulish part, not the eternal spiritual part. We know God wins and because we're on his team, that means we win, but the process, the getting there. Um, that's a matter of the soulish level, our mind, our will, our emotions. Um, but praise God, number five, there's a common solution. And we could stop here and we've covered a basic truth. We're going to go deeper, of course, but there's a common solution. We must stake everything on God's goodness and faithfulness. Because at the end of the day, no matter what we're worrying about, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too kind to be cruel. So we put all of our eggs in that basket. God will see us through. Um, it goes to that idea uh, of how do we deal with fear. Now, I, I do need to say this. We need to focus and not ignore these things. Don't I mean, some people just try to medicate themselves out of fear. And again, I don't want you to feel guilty for taking medicine. That, that, that's not what this is about. But what we do need to do is understand if, we're, if something's keeping us awake, we need to begin to dig into it a little bit. Uh, we need to remember that there's a legitimate fear and even a healthy fear. Um, I, you know, I, I don't like heights. And I think it's a healthy fear since I don't like heights. When I'm up in the mountains, I love the scenery, but just don't want to get too close to the edge. You know, I just don't want to do it. Um, I don't think that's, you know, a spirit of bondage. I don't think that's the devil. I think just my mama taught me that there's legitimate fear. There's healthy fear. I still look both ways before I cross the road. 
Um, but there is destructive fear. And I want to ask you, as you move into this study, lesson one tonight, is there anything that immobilizes you? Now, it's one thing to have a healthy fear, you know, of something or, you know, it's, it's nothing wrong with locking the door at night because you have a healthy fear of an intruder. But is this a fear that immobilizes you? Is this a fear that steals your joy and your peace? Is this a fear that hinders your sense of destiny? Um, we're, going to, we're going to learn that there's some fear that's legitimate, some that's illegitimate, some that's probable, some that's only possible, but we want to be able to wrap our hands around all of it. Now, how do we deal with fear? Number one, we talk about levels of warfare. Um, there are steps, and these things are sequential that I'm about to mention, but they're not necessarily linear. I mean, there's first, second, third, but it's not necessarily linear, moving in a straight line. It's uh, the Hebrew mindset is kind of a circular thing where you nail onto a truth, but then you evaluate it. You let it work its waves and lead you into the next wave. For instance, number one, we have to have courage and trust God. No path you take dealing with fear will work if you don't basically trust God. Um, number two, we need to understand that sometimes, uh, even though we've learned to have courage and trust God, sometimes we need deliverance from strongholds. Now, what are strongholds? The Bible talks about strongholds. Um, I think it was Jack Taylor that taught us that strongholds are like a rut in the mind. Um, the first time my daddy ever let me drive was in a dirt road with the rut so deep he knew that even if I passed out and let go of the wheel, the truck was going to go in the right direction because of the ruts. We can have ruts in our mind where whenever any word about a certain thing is mentioned or any circumstance presents itself, <coughs> we travel down that same rutted path. And sometimes we need to break those ruts. I think they're strongholds of the mind. And that's why we're told that uh, we, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. The weapons of our God, uh, of our warfare are not carnal, but uh, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he talks to us about bringing our thought life under control. And um, so we need to realize that there are strongholds of the mind. But if we don't deal with those strongholds of the mind, they can eventually, not always, but they can eventually lead to demonic strongholds in our life. When you read the epistles of Paul, some things are called the works of the flesh. And then in other places it says they are demonic. And it depends, I think, on how much we've let that take root in our lives. I like to put it this way. I believe some demons are cast out, but I think even most demons, especially in the lives of believers, I think most demons aren't cast out, although I do believe in demons being cast out. I believe most demons are crowded out. We just, we just fill our lives with the, with the things of God and it crowds out the uh, demons. So we have this basic trust we realize that sometimes we have to change the way we think or the way we live and strongholds have to be broken. 
And that leads us to step number three, which is developing a transformed mind. Paul said in Romans 12, he says, uh, you know, he, he, that, that classic passage there in Romans 12, 1 uh, and, and 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, or meaning this system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And um, number four, we need to understand the principle of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Because again, not everybody, this isn't universal. I don't think everybody has a thorn. But sometimes after you've done everything that you know to do, there are some things that still kind of hold on. And that's when we need to have a good solid theology about the thorn in the flesh. Is this something that I must endure? Is this something that I must endure for a season? Is this something that is training me and conditioning me right now, but it won't be this way always? We need to understand what the scripture talks about when it refers us to the fellowship of his suffering. Um, that's not the idea of having trouble. That's not the fellowship of his suffering. We all have that kind of suffering. But the fellowship of his suffering, I believe, is the idea of pressing through, not giving up, not passing on the cup that Father gives us for a season, and we trust his decision. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. But he said at the end of the day, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So we've got to understand there are some things that are harder to move than others. There are some things that you may struggle with for a long time. Some things may be the result of trauma in your life or just flawed thinking. But you've got to understand, we cannot allow fear to take over just because it puts up a fight. Okay, now we've also got to get this right about getting on the right train. Now I've used this analogy talking about salvation itself. But um, it's the story, it's kind of out of date in our culture now. But um, it came from the, the great preaching of, uh, of England and in America in the early 20th century where a lot of travel was done by train. And the, the story is told, and again, it applies to salvation or, or living out salvation. The story is told about a man who gets on a train, realizes he's going in the wrong direction. He wants to go to New Jersey, but it says this is the train to Des Moines, Iowa, and he's left Chicago going in the wrong direction. And there is the dynamic of intellect, emotion, and action. Intellect, emotion, and action. The first thing that this man must do is realize, yeah, let me verify. Let me be sure I didn't misunderstood what uh, the conductor said. This train's going to Des Moines, and Des Moines is west of Chicago, not east. I need to go east. I am on the wrong train. I need to do something about it. That's intellectual understanding. Now he's got to deal with the panic. He cannot let panic take over. Panic will make him jump off the train and he'll never get to New Jersey because he's broken both of his legs. So he's got to bring the emotional dynamic uh, into the realm of reality. And then he's got to decide what will my next steps be. It's the same way with dealing with fear. We have to intellectually, and, and that doesn't mean it's not a spiritual process. Sometimes God has to reveal things to us. But we ask him to help us understand what the problem is. 
we have to bring our emotions to the cross so that we're not in a panic about these emotions. And then we need to let the Holy Spirit or our physician or our wife or our husband or pastor or whoever give us some good practical steps. That's the way out of this. Now, what are the steps toward freedom? Um, you can look at it from this perspective, if you like. Discernment. What am I dealing with and why? Is there some event in my past life that causes me to have this anxiety? Or is it just something that I, that I allowed into my life? I know when I was an elementary age kid, um, I, I really came close to a nervous breakdown uh, because I opened my heart. I've always loved a good ghost story. And I opened my heart to some wrong movies, some wrong television, some wrong, I, I'm, I'm not talking about pornography or anything. I'm just talking about things that glorify the devil. And if I were to watch them today, I'd probably say that was nothing. But it was a lot to an elementary school kid. And it, it, it nearly caused me going for counseling, the fear that it generated. Um, when pastor gets called to your house at night, um, you know, that brings to mind the exorcist, you know, <coughs> there's nothing like that, but I'm saying it was a very serious thing. And, and I opened the door and there, I could tell you, if I could take another 20 minutes, I could tell you the, the trail that led us there, <coughs> but I had to find out my mom and dad had to find out why is this affecting us this way in our home. Then you discover the truth. You say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what God's word says. This is where I'm at. <clears throat> and I encourage you then to design a scriptural arsenal. No matter what you are fearful of, I can almost guarantee uh, that it's, it will take, it may take two or three verses. It may take a half dozen verses, but you're going to fight your way out of this through a claiming of verses that God makes come alive to your heart. And then you have to bring thoughts captive. Now I've just referred to 2 Corinthians 10. That is the tough thing. We bring thoughts captive. Now, let me say this. How do we bring thoughts captive? Well, whenever tormenting or whatever thoughts come, you take a moment to examine it. Is this logical? Is this reasonable? If this, is this possible? Well, just about anything's possible, you know. But is it probable? Is the enemy playing on my fears? You examine the thought, and then you do one of two things when you examine the thought. You embrace it, or you expel it. You say, yes, this is legitimate. If, if it's a fear of somebody's going to break in the house and you didn't lock the doors, Go lock the doors. Go lock the doors. But if it's, you know, I'm afraid a meteor is going to fall out of the heavens and land right on my house. I don't even know how to calculate, even using gazentas, I don't know how to calculate the odds against a meteor falling on your home. That's one that needs to be reined in. It's one, it's one that needs to be reined in. You say, but it's possible. Well, look at it this way. My death will be swift and immediate, you know, no suffering. Um, you examine it, then you either embrace it or expel it. 
And then you begin a process of entwining the truth into your heart. This is what I'm afraid of, but this is what God's word says. Now, I, I know that sometimes it's easier to do that than other times. I read the psalmist and he said, God is my refuge and my fortress. I will not fear. But in just a few inches later down the page, he says this, but when I am afraid, I will trust in you. We, we, we may never get to the point where we say every day, every moment, I shall not fear. But when we do fear, we trust in him. I want to recommend something that has transformed my life before you get into your detailed study. In college, I learned a habit that has served me well uh, for a lot of years, and it is to read through the Psalms every month. Now, I don't read through the Psalms 12 times a year, but I probably do I probably do probably seven or eight times a year. And the way you do it uh, to the most benefit, and I encourage you to do this, is to, to read five psalms a day, and that gets you through the psalms every month. Um, the way they are best grouped is I read every 30th psalm. On day one, I read Psalm 1, Psalm 31, Psalm 61, Psalm 91, Psalm 121. Um, you say, why do you do it that way? Well, it, it just seems to have, not every day, but there just seems to be a connection to the Psalms that way. And I'm not trying to hawk a book, but we do have this, and it's called Journeys Through the Psalms. It's the Psalms divided up into those five a day breakdown. I encourage you to get that. You don't have to have this book to do it. Um, I mean, all you have to do is just read a psalm and add 30 to it. It's easy to do, but this has it laid out a day at a time. You can get it from the church office or uh, you can get it if you're at church here at church. Father, our time is up for this introduction, <clears throat> but we pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would wrap us in your love and wrap us in your word and help us to realize that we don't have to live under the oppression of fear and especially the what ifs. So walk with us on this journey. Be with us on those weeks that the fear might not apply to us. Help us to still learn some things. Be with us through the weeks when it's nailing us. It's exactly where we are. And our goal at the end of this 11 week study, whether it's at church or in a group or online, our goal is to be set free to enjoy and embrace the peace of God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. <laughs>